Welcome back to Real Phonies, where we take a love for movies and television and combine it with very little knowledge about movies and television. I'm your host, Christian. Join with me are my co-host, Joseph. Yellow. And Jehu. <laughs> Your muted hurt. <laughs> oh, well, you already did it for me, so it doesn't matter. Hello? Yes, you're, Hello? you're good. <laughs> okay, All right. Okay. Man, we're having some technical difficulties this Ugh. morning, or afternoon, whatever day it is. Doesn't matter. We're here to talk about movies that changed our life. This is a very touchy-feely one for us, I feel like. Well, I, I, I was curious, uh, you know, I was pretty vague on, uh, in the titling. I kind of wanted to see what you guys had interpreted out of this because I had some like loose categories I had in mind, but I wanted to hear what, what you, what, when I said that, what that meant to you. I had well, no I'm, idea what you meant. I'm assuming honest. it doesn't just mean like a movie we really like. Because I mean, like, I really like Raiders of the Lost Ark, but Raiders of the Lost Ark didn't change my life. It actually pretty much just fit into the shit I already was into. So, so what what did you what did you mean by it when you proposed it? Well, initially, I had kind of uh, intended specifically things that are like you've gone into a movie one person, you've come out a different person, you will never be that person before that movie again. But I've kind of, in, in breaking down my own list, I've kind of broken them up into a couple different categories, which is there's a couple of those that are in that category, which is things that like actually changed me. I feel like I'm a different person after seeing those movies. And then there's, I have a, several movies, more of these actually, uh, of, of things that change what I thought movies were capable of. So like I came in expecting one thing out of the experience and then I realized, oh no, there's a whole new experience that I wasn't even aware was possible uh, after this movie. And then I just had a list at the end of, of movies that fucked with my head, which I don't even know if I'm a different person, but I just, you know, you just can't, can't fucking stop thinking about them. Well, well, I only came up with four when that, and I treated it as movies that affected me as a person, but also affected how I view cinema. Okay. Um, so it's a bit so of both. I'm, yeah, it's a bit of both. Uh, to Jehu's point, one of them, or probably half of that list are movies that I have said on this podcast that I absolutely love. But I think why I love them is because of the change that effect that they had upon me. Mm. Yeah, um, I went strictly with shit that after I was over it, something about me was different than before. So even if that thing was just, what movies I was into after watching. I like it. I feel like, I feel like we, we've all reached similar destinations yeah. uh, from, uh, <laughs> from vague beginnings. Well, having said that, Joseph, why don't you go first since this was your topic idea? And it seems like you have the most movies. I definitely do. And I, I, <laughs> I don't know how to do this because I kind of want to do chronological order, but I don't know if I can actually keep track of which ones I watched in which order. But I know the very first one that I have to write down which is the movie that stole my innocence, which is not, it does, it's not anything specific to this movie, but is more specific to my life experience. Uh, is the movie The Patriot. Uh, <laughs> because it was, I don't remember how young I was when I saw it. Uh, it was on, I, I was, you know, with my parents at one of my parents' friend's house and it was on, you know, they, somebody at their house was watching it. And I just know that I was too young to watch it. Um, <laughs> And I remember like walking into a room specifically at the moment where Mel Gibson throws an act or a hatchet directly in between the dude's eyes and into his skull. Uh, it's the greatest tomahawk death scene in any movie. And, and I, I thought about that shit for like two years afterwards. 
Like that fucking ruined me. And you know, now like you know, it's fucking nothing. But at, at the time, I had just never seen anything quite that gruesome. I've never like you know, even though I, some part of my brain was aware that it may not have been real, it looked really real to me. And I had never seen a man die, at least quite like that. <laughs> so so uh, that was that was the first one that I feel like I there was there was one Joseph at the beginning of that scene, and then there was a different Joseph from then on. You know what that movie have, also does is that movie tells you that children can die at the hands of adults. For sure. <laughs> and that's tough to accept as a child. <laughs> um, I, I'll go second. Mine's, mine's definitely not as dark. Uh, and this one is probably the most literal one of my entire list. Uh, this is, of course, a movie that needs no longer, more content from us on it. But here we are again. Star Wars, the original Star Wars. And the reason it is on my list is because it is literally my first memory. Hmm. I cannot trace back any memory before Luke and the two sons. So, I mean, you know, that changes your life right there. That well, is one a, second before. That's, that's, that's a pretty powerful sentiment that you've just put forward is that your, you know, your first memory is a, is a you know, a film, you know, a great film. I'm not, I'm not knocking that, but. no. Oh, dude, I, I think I, that's a testament to kind of the power of why we do this goddamn podcast. But also, I think there's a part of you that wants to say, maybe we can trace back all the problems Jehu has to that. And we might. We might. We might be able to do that. But yeah, that's, that's, my, that's my first memory. Uh, is, uh, I, you know, before that, I was not forming memories. And after that, I was. I that like is it. interesting. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of wish Star Wars was my first memory. That is pretty dope. Um, mm-hmm. I'll, uh, I have these written in an order, but you guys have inspired me to change that order. Um, and the one I'm, you're going to see a common theme through the ones I've chosen. And I will start, this is why I'm saying I'm changing it up. I'm going to start the one that birthed that theme, which is Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Hmm. Um, to me, this is the epitome of what movies can be. Um, it is like genre bending. It defies expectation. It makes the impossible seem real all the while. It tells a very centralized story on the concept of family and what it means to belong. Um, I discovered this movie pretty young. I would say I was probably between nine and 12, somewhere in that area. Um, but I would say that watching this film is probably the exact moment like I became a cinephile. Like this is the moment I fell in love with movies. And uh, I mean, science fiction and fantasy are my two favorite genres. Um, and this is, in my opinion, like science fiction done at its best. I'm so glad that both of you guys had like this this magic of cinema experiences that you still remember because all of my first memories of watching movies are being too scared to watch something <laughs> for me. And so I don't remember what the first movie that like really, really like, you know, got me hooked on watching movies. So I'm glad that you guys have shared that because I want that because that's like, again, it's part of why we all do this podcast, but I couldn't think of it. My- so I'm glad that you guys both had one. My closest thing to your sort of thing, uh, Joseph, is as a kid, I was really uncomfortable with nudity. I did not like being naked. I did not like knowing that other people were naked. And uh, one time I was watching Airplane with the family, and there's that one scene where tits just come in front of the, the screen for no reason. And that just like, like I could, like if I could have crawled out of my own skin and disappeared, then I would. We're really painting a picture of your of your life story here (laughs) i feel like we might be able to put the pieces together here (laughs) 
Oh, that's good. So actually, that brings me to, I was trying to think of, because this is also something that I think everybody has, but I was trying to figure out what might have been your first experience with, what was your experience as, uh, with like the first great twist that you encountered in a movie? Because I think that changes Ooh. what you expect out of a movie. Because prior, I mean, you, to, prior to that, the, you know, there never was a twist. And then after that, you're aware that that's even a possibility. I mean, it's, it feels cliche but i was the right age for m night Shyamalan to really like affect me you know like those like the sixth sense and uh signs in the village all of those they really hit home and were very informative to me in a way that like that was kind that was his shtick but to me he was like the person doing it um and i was too young to see fight club uh <laughs> so uh probably the sixth sense and it's funny you mentioned that because that was totally going to be my answer because that's what I, th- I was thinking it was. And then uh, Hurt mentioned Star Wars. And I was like, oh, you know what? It's probably Empire Strikes Back. I mean, I was definitely going to say it's, it just about can't be a different answer for me as far as first one yeah. than Empire Strikes Back because I was not aware that a twist was even a thing. I didn't know that stories did things other than the thing you expected them to do. So, uh, so yeah, that one, that, one, that one really hit on me. I mean... It, the my favorite twist ever in a movie and i think this one would just be life-altering just because after i saw it like i kept chasing the twist fix it was like i gotta get that i gotta find a movie that'll fool me like that again and that was la confidence it's it's a diminishing returns Mm. game for sure it's totally diminishing returns and what really happens is when you start looking for it you just start being able to dismantle a movie in about the first 30 seconds Right. Yeah, I'm glad we've kind of moved away from it. Yeah. Um, I It'll think come people, back in our lifetime. I'm, I well, guarantee it. For sure. It will. <laughs> um, Joseph, you got another one? Well, I did. Uh, I, uh, I, I, I wanted to, to, on that note, though, since you mentioned Fight Club, I feel like the, uh, the baby sister of this that also changes the way you watch the things that has ruined several shows and movies for me since is the first movie with an unreliable narrator. You're asking me what the first movie with an Yeah. Because I mean, I think for, I think for me, I think for a lot of people, the one that I remember specifically is Fight Club. But I, you know, I know it wasn't a, it was that wasn't the first time that's ever been done, and certainly not the last. It's the one that comes to me though. Mm-hmm. If you ask me which is the one that was most influ- influential to me w- with that shtick, I would say Fight Club. Do you, do you think Amadeus counts as a movie with an unreliable narrator? Mm. that mean, is a he, good one. He's definitely an untrustworthy narrator, sure. but I don't, but I don't think he ever gives you facts that aren't presented on in the story. No, yeah. I mean, I think I think there are you know bits where he like colors it his way, and then they portray right. it maybe a little different, but nothing nothing quite so dramatic. Yeah, yeah, but that's a good one. That's a good call. I like that. Jehu, you got a uh, another movie? Okay, my my next one on my list uh, is you know a lot of these have been th- shit we have mentioned on this podcast. I don't think I've ever mentioned this before which is weird because i do love it a lot arthur oh have you, yeah have you three guys ever watched arthur it seems like something you all might to be you too young for i don't even know what it is you don't uh, even have, know what it is no i i am familiar with the property but i have also never watched it uh, i mean it's a early 80s comedy starring dudley moore uh dudley moore was kind of the you know it guy in comedy right before eddie murphy became the biggest thing on earth but uh you know, he was he was big in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, 10 was a big hit for him, but even though that was more of a big hit for Bo Derek's tits. And um, 
but Arthur was really his sweet spot because what he was really good at was playing a drunk. And uh, I can just remember watching this movie a lot with my mom. And I, you know, a big part of why I, why I value humor so much comes from my mom. She's a, she's really funny, really good at telling stories. And she just fucking loved this movie. Anytime it was on, that's what we were fucking doing. Hmm. We were watching Arthur. And, and it is a really great movie. Uh, you know, uh, the plot of it's pretty simple. Uh, he's a rich socialite who's drunk and partying all the time. And his mom tells him, basically, if he doesn't shape up and marry this waspy chick, she's going to cut him off. And, you know, he has like a, I think he's played by John Gilgood, a sort of sardonic butler who's his caretaker. And around the same time, he meets a woman that he actually likes. Uh, and, you know, hijinks ensue. But it's, uh, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty heartfelt movie and all that. But it's also, Dudley Moore's just really fucking hilarious in it. And uh, it's probably the exact moment I sort of became more of a comedy person than a drama person. Hmm. I, I, uh, you, know, um, you know, not just in how I enjoyed it, but seeing how my mom enjoyed it. I mean, and when I say this changed my life, I don't mean just in searching out comedies i wanted to be funny like dudley moore and arthur so yeah this one was a life changer fair they enough so remade it with russell brand which is oh terrible. no yeah 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 there were, i mean i'm not a russell brand hater or anything you know forgetting sarah marshall is pretty awesome but, but that dude completely misses the point of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> um the next one for me is uh more of a realization like watching this movie was a realization that I am a different person now that I am a parent, um, which is, and we've talked about it a bunch, A Quiet Place. This was really the first film that I saw that because I was a dad, my viewing and perspective of it was changed. That like, I think emotional beats, I mean, don't get me wrong. Anyone who sees a kid get eaten by an alien, it's uncomfortable for everyone. But my son was about three years old when this movie came out. And, um, it just very much I was able to feel and experience a lot of what John Krasinski with that character on that role we're going through in those moments. And I really connected with it in a way that I don't think I would have not having children. Um, this movie really affected me and I was really into it, but what the, the difference maker is, it's just that it was, it's the first time I saw a movie and thought, Oh, my enjoyment of that really I mean, it's a good movie, but my enjoyment of that really hinges on me being a parent. Like mm. the way that movie connects with me is just different, I think. And I had not really experienced that in a movie. There are plenty of movies about parent-child relationships and whatever, and I don't feel that. But when that case, because it's a parent of small children, um, you know, in danger, and you desperately want to protect them, like yeah, I'm like, oh, I 100% um, connect with this, and. It, again, I'm not saying that people can't. I'm just saying this for me, this is the first time that I experienced that in a movie. And um, yeah, no, it, it, it stuck with me. I am still excited to see the second one if we ever get to. You know, uh, that, that reminds me of one I didn't put on my list, but it's sort of almost the opposite of that. I know I've talked about this in real life with you all, but have I ever talked about on the podcast how I used to confuse my grandfather with John Wayne? I don't, I don't think, think so. so. The podcast. <laughs> Okay. Well, I mean, when I when when I was a kid, I did not really understand that John Wayne, and I'm talking a little kid, 
did not really understand that John Wayne was a different dude than my grandfather. They were both built about the same way. Odell sort of lived his life like he thought he was in a fucking John Wayne movie, just, you know, fights and telling people off and just, you know, never backing down to anybody and just being, you know, a basically 24 hour day asshole. But, uh, but he has a movie called Big Jake, which is probably my, my favorite John Wayne movie. Um, and it's one where he tries to sort of get in the spaghetti Western sort of feel. And it's a little darker and bloodier than his Westerns usually is. But in that movie, he's trying to rescue his kidnapped grandfather. I'm grandson. So, man, I, that just when I was a kid, I was fucking locked into that, you know. Yeah, so sort of the opposite of that same thing. Joseph, you guys have such positive memories. I'm starting to worry that I only remember bad things that happened to me. <laughs> well, I did just refer to my grandfather as a 24-hour day asshole. That's fair, you did. It's not my next positive. one is not super positive. Okay, good. Because one of the ones that, that <laughs> I remember just eroding kind of my trust in general relationships that I hadn't considered even worth like evaluating was Gone Girl. Oh, wow. The way it deconstructs, uh, you know, kind of like the on the surface relationship versus, you know, the like the true separateness of, of these two people that really don't know each other nearly as well as that they think they do, or at least one person doesn't know the other one nearly as well as they think they, they do, uh, really fucked with me. And, and I don't know, I feel like I was aware of a capacity for malice in, in close relationships that I wasn't previously aware of after, after that See. movie. Like 100% this is, it's funny because in, in general day-to-day life, you seem like a more negative person than me, but seeing that movie, I was like, yeah, that could happen. <laughs> like that, it made total sense to me. Uh, Gone Girl always imagined, it's to me is, what if Zack Snyder wrote the song Escape? Um, <laughs> Shit. That might be the good. funniest take we've ever had on this movie. <laughs> It's just really hard for me to separate. How long have you like, had that one in the fucking chamber? My God. I, we don't ever talk about it, but that's how I view that movie. <laughs> the themes are very similar. Well, it certainly ruins the impact of it on my life, but yeah, I, I super see what you're getting at there. That's all I got to say about it. <laughs> I mean, what fucking more could you? This podcast just changed my life. Yeah. That take just changed my life. You're welcome. Thank you. Jehu. See, the next one was one I kind of had a hard time finding patient zero on because I really wanted to pick one that I don't know. There was just a few, there was a few years in my life, particularly right when VHS rental became a thing that all I wanted on earth were dumb action comics. And, you know, it's hard to say whether is Lethal Weapon the first one that got me into it or was Ghostbusters the first one that got me into it. But I, I probably had to go with Beverly Hills Cop. Mm, good one. Uh, and, you know, I mean, again, that's not life-changing like, it. oh, after I came out of that, I was a different person. But I watched that movie and was like, I need to see more movies like that. And there was a couple years where those were the only kind of movies I would watch. And uh, it, it actually, I rented these movies over and over so much that we were probably one of the first people on the block to have two VHS players so I could just tape them off and then watch them over and over at home. I, I don't know if that's a, that's a good progress to make in life, to become obsessive about something and watching it over and over, but I fucking loved that whole genre of 80s dumb action comedies. And I, 
Beverly Hills Cop is a pretty good example of it. Also, I'll say this about Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, Axel Foley does more solid detective work in that movie than all like nine Batman movies together. <laughs> What's amazing to me about this genre is how the 80s like really nails it. And we just have not <laughs> been able to capture that magic since. <laughs> we really can't. We cannot do that anymore. I think, I think one of the things is, is the, the need for us now to see a character change and grow whereas that didn't always happen in these movies. Like, Axel Foley does not grow at all. Yeah. Zero Ghostbusters learn anything. <laughs> you know, Riggs kind of learns to trust his partner, but he also is still a crazy asshole at the end of it. He, did, he just had a fight to the death on somebody's lawn, like, right before that. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I, I, think, I think that's why we can't do those today, is because we need to see characters grow now. One thing that... Um, and I'll just I'll move on to mine because I did do Ghostbusters. Um, since we're I was so on this close subject. to Ghostbusters, I, Ghostbusters. I just felt like a I'd be faking it, and b you were going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it kind of to your point. I think one thing that these movies do, and I think they both have in common, is um, the 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 characters themselves are the fun like the right. you know like you're like you're talking about the ghostbusters don't learn anything eddie murphy is just being eddie murphy and beverly hills cop like those the the uh, same thing's true for like lethal weapon like those characters are the humor in movies that are actually pretty serious so like the in in beverly hills copper and ghostbusters the surrounding plot is where like the drama is and because of that we can take some like in ghostbusters literally this building is falling on people walking down the street in new york city and uh they're cracking jokes and <laughs> dreaming up of giant stay puff marshmallow man like because even though things are literally falling apart around them they're still funny it works really well together whereas i think the reverse doesn't really work like if we tried to make put serious characters in humorous situations that doesn't hit the way that a, a humorous character hits in a serious situation. That's a um, good point. And so I think like the reason why I say Ghostbusters is on my list is uh, because like that's, there's also kind of a lesson in that, which is sometimes when everything's really crappy, you got to be able to tell a joke and you got to be able to, you know, hang out with your best friend and, and, you know, eat, no matter what else is going on, if you can do those two things, you probably can get through it. And, um, man, it, it just, it reminds me a lot of my dad. It, it, that whole style, um, dirty eighties, New York. Like I like a lot of movies that look that way. It, it just, Man, this is an epitome of things that I love. I, I I love the humor. I love the actors. But like I said, I, I think it's a great way to structure a film, which is you put funny people in weird, difficult, strange scenarios. Yeah, I like that a lot. That's good. I I'd never thought of it exactly that way, but I like that a lot. That that because that is exactly what works about that movie. It's a dire situation that these guys are just cracking jokes about and it doesn't make as much sense like if you put the cast of gone girl or <laughs> you know in in the middle of like 40 year old virgin you know yeah exactly but we've tried it right <laughs> well I'm, I'm happy to start wrapping things up here i i, I had again i had a whole list of things that kind of changed my perception of what movies were capable of 
um, which, you know, has surely happened many times throughout my life. But probably the more recent ones, yeah, I, I should preface with, I don't think I watched a good movie until I was like 16. I just, I, you know, I watched, I think most movies that we watch are some version of Pirates of the Caribbean, um, you know, scaled up or down a couple of degrees. Um, but like, you have to go out of your way to find something that's really stylistically different than a lot of the stuff that you watch. And two movies that first really showed me like the power of like actually using the visual part of the medium of uh, movies as opposed to, you know, necessarily like dialogue heavy or story heavy. Uh, and I, I was kind of torn between these two is uh, Mad Max Fury Road and Gravity came out similar times and I think accomplished similar things. Yeah, for sure. Where they they do so much with the visual part that almost everything else in the movie is irrelevant. Yeah, you know, I always love any opportunity to bring up Mad Max Fury Road. <clears throat> I I never watched Gravity due to extreme claustrophobia, <laughs> but uh, but uh, I I mean definitely Mad Max Fury Road was the last time a movie was just that like fix was like man I need to experience that shit again. Yeah, yeah that's a group. Yeah. With Gravity, Gravity to me is like Avatar, which is, is a singular theater experience, but it is a one-of-a-kind theater experience. Like, There's nothing contextually to that film, <laughs> but watching it in a theater is, uh, I mean, hard to replace. And, uh, you know, we did it several times. Ian did it a hundred times. <laughs> a lot of times. <laughs> Those are good ones. More recent. Again, I, I, I was the first one on this list is from 2008. So like everything before that, again, was some version of Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, I have like two more on my list besides this one. But actually, this one's this one's plenty good to end on. Uh, Raising Arizona. Ooh. And I, oh, I think yeah. why why this is good is, for me is honestly just if it, it might just be a good way to describe me. You know, if if you. Uh, <laughs> If you want to describe me to someone who is in the know on movies and stuff, it's like, oh yeah, Jehu. One of his favorite movies is is uh, Raising Arizona. It's his favorite Coen Brothers movie, and they're his favorite filmmakers. That I think you can then watch that movie and see, oh, I know that dude. I can remember very specifically the first time I watched this movie. Uh, me and some dumb friends used to do these. Uh, like we'd make little home video movies and, you know, and this sounds like I'm explaining like the behavior of like 12 year olds or something, but we were like 23. Uh, and, um, and uh, you know, we had stayed up all night making one of these movies. And uh, my friend Steve was like, Hey man, you want to watch raising Arizona? I was like, and you, I'm, I'm not a big staying up, staying out late guy. I wasn't then. And I'm not now, but uh, I was like, well, I'll watch like the first 10 minutes of it. Cause I'd never seen it. And man did that shit rope me in because the the 10 minutes of that movie before the uh opening credits is a whole movie into itself it's my favorite one of the coen brothers movies even though i know lebowski's probably funnier and there's probably two or three more you could name that are more well made but i just fucking love this shit it's really funny that you you bring this one up because i feel like i think there's a thing because i wanted to mention it almost here was that like you know watching a tarantino film for the first time i think is a change because like there's nothing like that before and then you're like aware that oh tarantino movies exist um right but, but the coen brothers kind of inhabit this special space where they've made so many movies that are such so vastly different that are also so vastly iconic in their own different ways yeah. like 
uh, between like Raising Arizona, Barton Fink, Fargo, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, and No Country for Old Men, like any one of those could be a landmark that you could point to as like, oh, you know what? The, the things that I watched before this were different than the things that I watched after this, or I was a different yeah, person. That's very true. I feel that way about Oh Brother, Where Art Thou. I do too. That my taste changed after I saw that movie. Yeah, I'm glad you brought the Coen Brothers up, Jay, yeah. because they're some well, of my favorite filmmakers, and and uh, definitely to to Joseph's point, like when I discovered them, I was a different like movie goer than I was before them. Well, I think with this one and and um, you know, Oh Brother, and with Big Lebowski, I think what's great about all three of those things is it takes very lowbrow stuff and very dumb characters and mixes them together in a really smart, well-made story. Yeah. And, you know, uh, seeing H.I. McDonough and his, uh, and his stupid outset outfit and his stupid hair saying his stupid things validated my stupid life for some reason at that time. It's like, Oh, what I'm doing is not too much different from this guy. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't robbing liquor stores, but I was a worthless layabout. And it, uh, you know, it spoke to me. Well, I'll, I'll close this out here, I guess, with these. This was not a movie that I intended to end on, so if it's somewhat of a disappointing ending, I do apologize. Welcome uh, to Real Phonies. Yep. <laughs> Alien. This film like challenges me in a lot of ways because I do not like horror, and uh, I do not enjoy being scared. And I probably was introduced this, to this movie when I was like eight years old, and it scared the bejesus out of me. But I really, really relate to this concept of a hidden yet ever-present darkness. Like, I've battled anxiety since I was a young teenager. And so I really relate to this concept of this thing ever being present, but... um, and not really necessarily being able to defeat it, but just trying to continue and survive with it there. It, It, to me, like, also, you know, came out at a time when... Uh, women couldn't be the heroic lead of a movie and it totally crashes and destroys that narrative. Um, Ripley is, you know, she's a badass. I mean, she's awesome. And I really enjoy this movie for a lot of reasons, both what it did for cinema and for film as a whole, um, making a, you know, a really impactful science fiction film, an impactful horror film, um, some of the genders and stereotype things that it breaks while also just I can really connect to it on a personal level. And uh, I like being scared when I watch this movie. I like um, the fear and uncomfortable nature that I kind of live in for like the six to eight hours after I, every time I watch it, Uh, which is probably more than a healthy person should. (laughs) Well, you know, I, when, when Joseph said the thing about Tomahawk, the Tomahawk and the Patriot, I was trying to think of what my equivalent to that was. And this is it. I can just remember specifically watching this with my uncle Ricky and, you know, I had no idea what it was. He was watching it on like HBO or something and it was in space. And I like space. Space is where <laughs> Star Wars happened. And man, when that thing comes out of the fucking chest, I felt betrayed. It's so funny <laughs> because I think that's the thing that, you know, it, it's most remembered for. And I think it probably definitely obviously made it on, on your list for that reason. Hurt. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but I, I do think it kind of undercuts how fucking menacing this movie is to Christian's point. Like the, the whole movie has so much menace everywhere. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, yeah, no, I think that's that's a that's a great one specifically for that reason. I did want to say to to Jehu, I also thought of the chestburster scene, but the mm-hmm. other one that got me, and I'm pretty sure Joseph connects with this one as well, is the uh, robot bug scene in The Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember being like 10 or 11 and, and walking through Best Buy and that being on like 50 TVs yeah. of this like little robot thing digging into Keanu Reeves' stomach and be like, I am never watching that movie. <laughs> Whatever that is, I am not participating. <laughs> well, it just gave me chills when you mentioned it. It's gross. <laughs> I hate that scene. Uh, I wanted to bring up one more thing and I was just curious because in doing this, I was trying to find something a movie that I thought like really challenged my like perspectives on people that are different than me, specifically kind of like, you know, movies about race or racism or that kind of thing, but not necessarily constrained to that. And I realized that so many of the movies that, that, you know, I think are the beloved versions of this, you know, your, uh, your remember the Titans and I don't know what, what's the thing that people like hidden figures. Uh, right. Those, those kind of movies. I, I think they're fun. I think they're enjoyable to watch, but I don't think they leave an impact on you because, you know, by the end of the movie, the racism is solved in right. almost all of them in some form or another. The closest one that I could come up with for me was Moonlight because one, it was just such a different story than anything that I was, I was accustomed to, particularly the last scene uh, or the last third of the film which is uh Chiron when he's older and he's you know kind of this you know hard street drug dealer but then you also you see that part of him first and then you also meet kind of the softer side that's like looking for uh connection and partnership and that was uh, like a, a really stark like perspective I had never seen before and something that I probably honestly hadn't considered even though it's probably not that far off from necessarily like Omar from The Wire um, but I was just curious if you guys had any experience with with uh, a movie that maybe changed your like perspective on another group of people that are different than you. I got two. First is Fruitvale Station. Oh yeah, fair enough. That one, I think, man, probably my first real like, because yeah, I mean, growing up in the South, remember the Titans is like, hey man, we beat it. It right. was tough for us for a while, but we got through it. Um, but Fruitvale Station is a really like eye-opening, like, hey, these problems are still pretty real and still pretty prevalent. Um, the other one, though, is uh, I want to say a more like specific group, but I think it's the best way for me to kind of understand where they're coming from, and that's Full Metal Jacket. Like this whole concept of um, Vietnam vets just, you know, being crapped on and people not want the con- whole concept of the draft and people being forced to go and fight a war that they didn't believe or agree in or that we should never have been in in the first place. Like it's really easy to for us to develop an opinion that isn't fully informed through a, like a history book. But I think that movie is a really good job of trying to give us a, like a, a look into what that probably would have felt like for that individual and the world at that time. I mean, that's a, I think that's a, that's a good choice. I wouldn't have thought of it, but yeah, I like mm. it. That's a good movie. Um, God, my answer is so dumb in comparison to you, but I'm, I'm really proud of it. I'm going with Beverly Hills Cop again. I No, I, <laughs> I actually don't hate that. Go ahead. No, I Make like his, that answer. Say your case. My case is before that I had only been presented with the idea that a white dude could be the coolest dude on earth. And Mm. 
in that movie for the first time i was presented with the idea that a black dude could be the coolest fucking dude on earth and in that movie eddie murphy is the coolest fucking dude on earth for a while after that movie eddie murphy really was the coolest dude that's <laughs> true for really, for really for like for like the last half of the 80s, Eddie Murphy was the coolest thing on earth. Eddie Murphy, I think the only person to ever be a cast member on SNL and also host SNL at the same time. <laughs> I think you're right, yeah. Actually, on that note, I guess I have to also make it put out a thank you f- to uh, to Will Smith for any of his movies in the 90s for doing a similar thing for me, for uh, right. making me aware that, uh, you know, you could have the black guy is the lead who's the coolest guy on the planet and uh, it's not a thing that i would have had to differentiate at the time because i was too young to really think about that but it probably definitely made an impact on my subconscious yeah for sure but uh is that it we want to we want to call it there yeah i mean we can do what we've been watching i can just do i've only watched one thing i can hit it quickly if uh, if there's anybody that's listening it's friends with us on facebook or twitter or has an email I, I love these things. Send me, send us an email, send us a, a comment or a tweet or whatever about movies that, uh, that changed you. You came out different to the other side of, we'd love to hear it, but that's it for movies that change you. What have we been watching guys? Christian. I watched the five bloods. Oh yeah. How was it? Spike Lee's um, movie. Spike Lee's new Netflix film. Or Spike Lee's new uh, joint. His <laughs> joint. Um, his follow up to black Klansman. I want to, Okay. Let me say this. I think it's worse than Transformers um, <laughs> as a movie because it's pretty jarring as a movie. Um, structurally, it's very different than probably anything you've ever seen before. Hmm. Having said that, he very clearly had a goal in mind and he, he, does, he absolutely accomplishes that goal. Um, it's weird to me that I'm not weird. I get the Chadwick Boseman such a big star. This is 10% more than a cameo for that guy. Um, That he was advertised very heavily in this film. For sure. Uh, This movie is um, three things. It's about 70% old black guy version of that Ben Affleck Oscar Isaac movie from Netflix last year. Triple Frontier. Triple Frontier. Very similar plot to that. It's 25% History Channel Vietnam documentary. And then it's whatever's remaining. I don't remember percentages. I said um, famous black people of history or of the 20th century. There are literal moments like where lines of dialogue where they explain to you who this black person is. You've probably never heard of and what amazing accomplishment they did that you didn't realize was a black person. Hmm. And again, I don't know that that works as a movie, but I understand that that's what he wanted to do. And I can understand the importance in doing that. And so yeah, I can appreciate it for that reason. The, the other thing I say about the Vietnam like history channel documentary, like the present day action scenes seem like movie quality things. The ones that take place during Vietnam, like they, they look like they would be on like, you know, someone doing a voiceover and um, the audio track being like very drum and bugle. Bum, bum, ba, da, 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 dum, mm. uh, type thing, you know, like it's just very, it feels like, something you've seen before you would watch in your high school history class. (laughs) And again, I feel like all of that was very intentional and I can respect that. And I think that's what he was trying to do. I would just say, if you're expecting to see a more traditional film, this is not that 
at least it wasn't that to me. Um, structurally, it is, it's, it's, it's just different. It's just different than anything I think I've really ever seen before um, because it does have these three very distinct things that are all kind of interwoven, but I did like it. It's a bit long. It's like two thirty-five. Like it's you, you it's, liked it's, it, but it's worse than Transformers. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm saying it's just worse than Transformers. Like in that, as a structural movie, I don't know that I, it it was so different for me. I don't know that I really was able to enjoy it. Now maybe going back and watching it a second time and knowing what that it's going to be, that might change. Um, but it was I really liked like hearing some of what they were talking about some you know, like black metal honor of medal of honor recipients during the Vietnam war, um, stuff like that. Like to me as a person who enjoys military history, like I really, I, I found that stuff really interesting. Um, if you're not into those things, then that might not be as interesting, you know, Perhaps. it's just weird, man. It's just, it's just, <laughs> it's just different than you think it's going to be. And, uh, again, I, you can tell that's very intentional, but that doesn't necessarily make it super comfortable i guess is the right thing to say that's all well all right y'all have a good one all right get out of here okay i guess it's my turn um okay uh well uh this past weekend a comic book legend named dennis o'neill died and so i spent a lot of the weekend reading denny o'neill comic books uh denny o'neill probably made batman the character you think of when you think of batman uh, you know, he's the one who brought him back more to the roots of being uh, a loner detective sort of, uh, you know, figure of the night. He's the one who brought the Joker back from being the, you know, the sort of character from the 60s TV show to being a frightening murderer again. Uh, you know, a, a lot of his comics are hard to read for today's readers because they were they're written for readers in the 70s when, you know, every comic you were reading was the first and last comic you were ever reading. Right. Or at least that's what they sort of, you know, envisioned. So, you know, there's a lot of exposition and stuff, but, uh, you know, he did the first appearance of Raj al Ghul, which is better than Transformers. Uh, he did the, uh, he did a Joker story called the Joker's five way revenge, which is what I was talking about where he brought back the Joker to his sort of killer roots. Also better than Transformers. Uh, he did a story called, uh, there's no hope in crime alley, which is a great fucking title. It's probably his best story. I'd also say better than transformers. Uh, and, but if I was going to recommend anything of his to like the modern reader, he did a five part story in the nineties called venom, which, uh, you know, is mostly wi- widely known as it sort of the lays the groundwork for Bane to become mm-hmm. a character. But, uh, you know, it, this is just a story of Batman trying a performance enhancing and drug and how it goes off the rail. And uh, it's, it's a great story. Definitely better than Transformers. So, yeah, that's basically all I have to report. That's funny that that's what that's about because, you know, my understanding historically is that, uh, you know, Bane was originally supposed to be called Venom. But DC didn't realize that Venom was already a trademarked character, something along <laughs> those lines. Right. Uh, I mean, I- I didn't know that exact story, but it actually makes a lot of sense because, yeah, the, the Bane origin is totally based around this Venom story. But the fact that it, it would be like, you know, it would be, you know, external substance tried first by our hero uh, and then right. rejected and then, you know, taken on to the nth degree by one of his villains is exactly Venom. 
<laughs> that's true. That's a really good point. <laughs> that's a, that's a funny parallel. <laughs> Actually, it's it they they even sort of. I'm, of course, it's not shape shifting, but it's presented as sort of a black liquid in comics. That's uh, that's very funny. I yeah, yeah. My my understanding was that that's entirely coincidence, but <laughs> I like that. Anything else? No, that's it. That's all I got. I like it. Uh, I have. Well, what, I'm, I'm on my usual train of of a uh, a Studio Ghibli movie a week. This week we did the uh, the namesake. We did uh, uh, My Neighbor Totoro, which I had never seen before. All right, uh, and it's super fabulous. I. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I had been afraid of it for a long time because it seemed like the most kitty of all the movies, which right. in my own defense, it was, uh, but in like the best way possible. It, it like presented this world so much through a child's eyes in that like right. both like the good parts, the joy and the fun parts felt very like from a child's perspective and the tension and the conflict um, also, like you know, I, I, I took the I took the time to rip on Disney while, after we watched it to my wife that like they didn't have to murder anybody's parents to manufacture some kind of like you know right. uh, some kind of tension in this movie. They they find things that that are very tense and stressful when you're a kid that you know maybe like don't seem that way when you're older but when like looking back at it from that perspective like oh yeah that is scary like one of the things is like they're waiting for their dad to come home and he doesn't get home when he's supposed to get home he's not on the bus he's supposed to be on and they don't know where he is and they don't know when he's coming home uh and it's it's like it's a very it's a very tense uh sequence but you know at the end of it he's just on a different bus he just missed the other bus but i don't know it's it's, uh I really, really, really liked it. And I, you know, I don't know why I'd skipped it for so long. I, I had a friend named Esteban who was an anime super fan. And I used to uh, uh, leave pictures of Totoro wherever he was, wherever I knew he was going to be. I'd take a, you know, I'd print it out on a piece of paper, fold it up and leave it there. And of course, would never admit that I was doing it. <laughs> and he took it, he took it very personally, I guess, because he had really broad taste in anime that I, that, Whoever this was implying, he only liked cute, cutesy kid stuff. Yeah. But uh, it was it was it was a good time. I, I, about a year of my life was doing that. <laughs> I, you so, know, yeah. Was it was this a friend from work or just a personal friend? No, this is this is a friend from work. This is a friend okay. when I worked at my old movie theater. I was about to say, this, but, that seems like a work effort, you know, like right. and the, thing, the uh, things the part, you do to stay busy. Let, let, here, here's here's the best thing I can do to explain to this guy to you. Uh, he worked at my theater, but he also worked at the uh, at the the uh, twenty nine rave, and um, I knew a guy who worked over there. And for whatever reason, even though we didn't allow that shit, we allowed Esteban to because he was difficult to communi- to communicate with. <laughs> um, so so I was talking to our friend who worked over there. I was like, "Oh yeah, my buddy Esteban's working there. How's he working out?" And he was like, "Oh, the British guy. Esteban <laughs> is in no way British." <laughs> It doesn't just sound British. Yeah. No. Uh, but he had just, once he got over there, decided he was going to speak with a British accent. Anyways, go ahead. Seriously? Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Oh, God. All right. Well, that is a departure. But I'm bringing <laughs> it back. So this week, I also have, have I, I'm breaking this tradition in coming weeks, but continued my pattern of watching a heady, quiet, high concept sci-fi movie. Each right. week. Last week was High Life, which I mentioned was full of fluids right. um, and worse than Transformers. This week I watched Ad Astra with Brad Pitt and Tommy Lee Jones. 
which was famously kind of swept under the rug and not advertised at all. Right. But was, you know, some people were, were marking it for awards acclaim, I guess. I, I'm, I'm with the studio on this one. They should have buried this motherfucker as deep <laughs> as they could have gotten it. It's a ripoff of a bunch of other better movies, but just slower and like attempting to be smarter, but actually coming off as dumber. Well, I remember the main reason I didn't watch this was not only did it look like movies I had already seen before, it looked like movies I had seen the actors in this movie in before. Yeah, well, it's so funny I'm, you mention that because Liv Tyler's role in this is exactly the same as it was in Armageddon. Really? Tommy Lee Jones is actually at one point in the same outfit as he was in Space Cowboys. I think Donald Sutherland's also in Space Cowboys. Yes, he is. Uh, so, you know, you're not wrong. No. Uh, I'm not sure that there was any creativity in this movie at all. It was a, it was a long, miserable slog. And, uh, you know, as, as much as I shat on High Life last week, at least I felt like there was, there was a point there. I didn't necessarily mm. like it. I didn't have a good time with it. But I like right. I see where you're going with this. This was just dumb. This was just the dumbest fucking shit I've seen in a hot minute. <laughs> and I was real <laughs> mad after I watched it. Uh, and then the last thing I wanted to mention, I, I binged a whole weird show on Netflix. It's my, my new anime that I'm already done with uh, called Doro Hidoro, which is going to be a real, real uh, ooh, pickle to try and explain what this anime is about. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, about a man with a lizard head who lives kind of on Earth, but the Earth is called the Hole, and it's adjacent to an alternate reality world that's filled with sorcerers who are just humans with magical powers uh and in this world sorcerers are the rich ones who can do whatever they want and they just pop into the hole which is where normal people live and practice their magic on them and leave right uh and so the whole the, the kind of the basic premise is the guy with the lizard head is trying to go to the sorcerer world and kill the sorcerer that turned his head into a lizard uh <laughs> But, like, that's the tip of the iceberg of all the weirdest fucking shit I've ever seen in my life. Uh, I had to watch, like, three episodes of it just to figure out, like, I, didn't, I, didn't, I couldn't even register how to feel about it because right. it was just so bizarre for a while, you know? Does that ever happen? It's like a kid who, like, uh, you know, like, they, they fall and hit themselves or they get hit by something and, like, they're not sure what they're supposed to do in that circumstance. <laughs> right. There's that pause before yeah. they start screaming. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. That's what the first three episodes of this show were. Uh, but at at some point, probably like three or four episodes in, you get so endeared to each of the characters, both in like the in the whole the normal world and the sorcerer world, that you get kind of sucked into the plot. And it's it's weird and it's kind of gruesome. It's fairly gruesome i'm not i'm underselling it but uh you know if you can stomach it it's pretty it's pretty delightful it's definitely something you'll have never seen before i just listening to this came up with a a theory okay which you know you know how um you know the like stereotypical movie pitch was is you know you're a guy you go into an executive and you got to say something really concisely that they can picture like you say you know like the like the, the cliche one is Jaws on Pause. And then they're like, oh shit, a movie about someone getting chased by a killer dog. I can visualize that. I think anime pitches are the opposite of that. You have to are. And pitch something that there's no way I can visualize that. And I need you to draw it for me. 
you know, I don't, I don't think you're far off base. There, there. I, I don't think that's always necessarily a mark of quality, but th- there definitely does seem to be like a weirder room to play in this particular <laughs> uh, medium, I guess. Right. Yeah, I like it. But uh, that's it for me too. All right. All right. So next week we actually have a plan. Isn't that amazing? We do. Which one? I know we have two plans. What's well, the plan we have for next we have week? some kind of plan. We did. I was going to talk to Christian about it before he left, but then he left. Uh, so Judd Apatow. Well, gosh, I see. This is the problem. I mix him up with Evan Goldberg all the time. Uh, which ones did he make? He made Knocked Up. He made, he made Knocked Up. He made uh, Four Year Old Virgin. Yeah. Uh, okay. This is uh, this is forty. Uh, the fucking the one where uh, Adam Sandler's dying. Yes. Funny people. Yep. Yeah. So we're going to watch his new movie, King of Staten Island, starring Pete Davidson. Uh, and then we're either going to do a thing about Judd Apatow or a thing about Judd Apatow versus Evan Goldberg. We'll see how it goes. Uh, I mean, it might be a fun change for us for, uh, to, to talk. We haven't talked about just a movie in so long. Oh, you just want to do a movie review? I mean, we could just talk. Well, I mean, but I mean, also, I have a lot to say about various Judd, Judd Apatow movies. Okay, so we, you know what? I, I came in too hot here. We don't actually know what we're doing next week. It will involve Judd Apatow and or the King of Staten Island in some way. We know it will be inspired by Judd Apatow's King of Staten Island. Though to be fair, these, these uh, vague promises are the best we've given you in, in quite a long time. So be thankful for what, what you get. Uh, we can promise them that next week we will definitely know what we're doing the week after. I like it. Yeah. But yeah, that's it. Thanks everybody for listening. Please rate, subscribe. Uh, please tell your friends. Really word of mouth is, uh, you know, how we get any new listeners, uh, particularly for, you know, kind of a small time podcast like us. Uh, but if you'd like to write it in for, uh, for movies that changed you, you know, it's, it's a pretty, uh, it, I, think, I think for each person, it's a pretty singular personal experience. So I'd really like to hear any, uh, any stories that you'd have with, with any life-changing cinema experiences you've had. Uh, you can reach us at realphonies at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at realphonies and on Instagram at real underscore phonies. Thanks to Zach Evans for art and Brian Velasquez for our theme. We'll see you guys next week. Later.